0: early on the morning of August 14th, 1942, Nazi soldiers surrounded the Jewish ghetto in the town of Bobowa, Poland, and began rounding up all the men, women, and children of the ghetto. Terrified and still in his pajamas, 12-year-old Samuel O'Liner hid on a roof and watched the terrible chaos below. Here in his own words, are what happened to him next. After several hours, which seemed like a lifetime, I escaped the ghetto. Peasants along the way told me what had happened. The trucks had taken the others, including my entire family, to a forest. There the Nazis forced them to undress in the most vile and humiliating way, made them walk about 60 feet across huge planks laid across a mass grave, then shot them and watched them fall into the grave. It took 18 hours to kill a thousand people and bury them with a thin coat of soil. After that, O'Liner goes on, I wandered around the countryside for three days, dazed and in disbelief. I slept in barns or in fields and ate food off the land. Finally, I decided to go across the hills to the village of Bystra, where a Catholic woman named Belwina Pajczuc lived. Belwina knew my family from before the war. When I knocked on the door one night, Belwina immediately recognized me. She knew what had happened in Boboa. She saw how scared and disheveled I was. She took me in and comforted me. She hugged me, fed me, and offered to let me sleep in the attic. As I climbed the stairs, Belwina said, crying, You poor boy, I will help. You must live. Belwina changed my name, O'Liner concludes, taught me to pretend to be a Catholic, and helped me to find a job at a nearby farm. And thus it was, Samuel Oliner writes, that I survived the war. And then he concludes, Balwina Paitrich's act of kindness, compassion, and bravery not only saved my life, it formed my life. I emigrated to the United States, became a sociologist, and spent my career working to understand what motivates altruists. Altruists. Like Belwina and the hundreds of thousands of other people during the war who put the welfare of others aside of their own. And what did sociologist Samuel Oliner discover about compassion and altruism? After he and his research team from the altruistic personality and pro-social behavior institute, which he founded, that's kind of a mouthful, I realize. The Altruistic Personality and Pro-Social Behavior Institute he founded at Humboldt State University in California after they interviewed some 1,500 of what have come to be known as the Righteous Gentiles, those brave non-Jewish Europeans who risked everything, as I think you know, and endangered their own lives to rescue Jews from the Nazis. He concluded that one defining human quality they all shared, that being empathy. It was empathy, pure and simple empathy, which made people so compassionate and brave. Again, Oliner, in his own words. We found a clear correlation between empathy and altruistic behavior. These helpers simply could not stand by and let others suffer. Altruists, unlike bystanders who did not help, had internalized an ethic of caring and social responsibility which they had learned from their parents and other adult role models. They all shared, O'Liner writes, the capacity for love and compassion. Now, as a religious leader who has been thinking, about the dimensions of the human drama for almost four decades professionally now, I am also passionately persuaded that empathy is one of the most important spiritual or emotional, maybe it's spiritual and emotional, possessions a human being can have. Empathy is something we must both cherish and teach in religious communities such as yours and mine. Again, Samuel Oliner. Moral behavior is the consequence of empathy. Caring for others, a strong attachment to the moral community, and an ethical obligation to all life. Reaching out to others at considerable personal risk, as Balwina Pajczuc did, to me as a terrified 12-year-old boy, and as many, many others have done, has been a force behind much that is good in the world, Empathy has saved immeasurable lives and inspired new acts of generosity and heroism. Now, I would guess that here at West, just like over at River Road, which is not terribly far from here, we speak often of the importance of compassion in human affairs. But the work of Samuel Oliner and his research team has persuaded me that In fact, empathy, it is empathy that is the spiritual and emotional prerequisite to compassion. So in some ways it's more foundational, it's more important than compassion because it it is what compassion springs from. It is people with genuine empathy in their hearts for their fellows who are motivated to act in compassionate and protective and altruistic ways. Simply said, more than compassion, it is empathy which empowers us To do good as caring persons. It is empathy which leads to compassionate deeds and to concrete acts of altruism. But with all this said, the question quickly becomes well, what what is empathy? What precisely is it? And perhaps of equal importance, is empathy for others something we can cultivate in our lives? Is it something we can teach to children? Let's begin by defining empathy, a look at the etymology of the word itself. The English word empathy comes from the Greek, empathia, which literally means feeling into, empathia, feeling into. Empathy then is the human quality of feeling into or feeling with, as several authors I consulted on this subject said, feeling with or into the situation of another, This is a much stronger human connection to another than sympathy, which I think of as the quality of feeling from a distance. Oh, you poor thing. Sympathy is, there's a distance between the sympathetic person that the empathetic person does not have. While sympathy is an important level of human caring, empathy goes closer and deeper. It motivates us, to actually do something tangible about the suffering of others. I like the way my UU colleague, Reverend Richard Gilbert of Rochester, New York, puts all this. Empathy, which is feeling the feelings of others, he writes, is at the core of kindness. It is the irrational root of ethics. It is the central ingredient to human compassion. The word compassion, he writes, comes from the Latin "com." meaning together, and pati, meaning to suffer. The word literally means to suffer together. In German, the word is mitleid, feeling the misfortune of the other. There are times, he goes on, when our only response to another's pain is to share it. Sorrow shared is sorrow halved, the old German saying goes, Empathy, then, comes from a feeling of deep sympathy for another. It is accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the pain or to remove its cause. Sympathy, feeling pity, turns to empathy, feeling with, he concludes, and finally issues in action to serve the needs of the neighbor. And empathy at its best, I think, is, something, uh, is not some complicated intellectual process as much as it is a simple emotional one. I'm reminded about the simple story about the nine-year-old girl who was sent by her mother for a loaf of bread at a store that was a short five-minute walk down the street from where she lived. When the nine-year-old had not returned with home with the bread after half an hour, the mother grew, of course, worried. Just as she was about to set out to see what had become of her daughter, the girl bounded in the door with the loaf of bread. What on earth kept you so long? The mother asked. The daughter answered, Well, on the way back from the store, I came upon a boy who had fallen off his bike and hurt his leg. I had to stop to help him cry. I like that story. Empathy, then pure and simple, is that quality of compassionately feeling with, feeling into, sharing in the, in the feeling and in the crisis of another. And because of this close identification with what that person is going through, causes us to do something good about it. So, empathy in here, in all of us, leads to goodness, leads to acts of goodness. And the absence or lack of empathy in the human heart Conversely, can lead to great human evil. I had a wise, old, masterful colleague on Cape Cod named the Reverend Peter Fleck. He ran the Rothschild Banking Interest in the United States, and then he became a minister late in his 70s, who on his deathbed, Peter, having an extended conversation with Jennifer Justice, who was his minister at the time, said to her just before he died, I have become convinced that human evil is only possible when you look into the eyes of another person and do not see God there. Now, he was a theist, so if you're a humanist, you can simply translate that, not seeing the sacredness of the other there. As a Unitarian Universalist committed, as I am, to the theological idea of the inherent worth and dignity of every person, I am passionately persuaded that Peter was right, that if we do not see our common humanity when we look into the eyes and into the lives and into the circumstances of another, then we can do great evil, some of it, often of it, by neglect, by just simply not caring or not being motivated to action. One painful example of the evil that can happen when empathy is absent happened a few years ago. You may remember this incident it was widely reported in the washington post and elsewhere one afternoon i think it was 5 or 6 years ago an emotionally distraught woman had climbed over the railing on a high bridge over interstate 95 at the rappahannock river as state police negotiators tried to as a, as a state police negotiator tried to talk her into his arms and safety impatient motorists from our region began yelling jump Jump! And of course, she did. Evil happens when we look into the eyes or the circumstances of another and do not see ourselves or God there. But let me flip the observation away from evil and get it back to the positive, for that is where I do want to take us all this morning. Another positive way of saying all this is human goodness and compassion blessedly happen, do happen. When we look into the eyes or the life of another and see a reflection of God, or at least see a reflection of our own highest and most essential selves. What Balwina Pytruch saw when Samuel Oliner came to her door was not some subhuman creature to hate as the Nazis portrayed all Jews. But simply from the heart, all she saw was a precious human being like herself to protect. The same can be said, of course, of that brave and selfless Rwandan hotel manager, Paul Rusabagin, whose brave and compassionate actions were portrayed in that famous movie, Hotel Rwanda. At great risk to himself and his family, and if you haven't seen the movie, you can rent it on DVD, He single this this hotel manager at great risk to his family, single-handedly saved over a thousand Tutsi refugees from Hutu genocide in that terrible Rwandan civil war in 1994, because he found himself simply emotionally unable to turn his back on those desperate folks who came to the hotel door. He simply found himself unable to turn them away. And the same could be said for the Reverend Weitzel Sharp and Martha Sharp, a Unitarian Universalist minister and his wife from Wellesley Hills, Massachusetts, who during World War II, and this is one of our proudest moments as a movement, the Unitarian Service Committee took an active role in saving thousands and thousands of Jews and others who were being persecuted by the Nazis. In 2006, the Israel's Holocaust martyrs and heroes Remembrance Authority honored these people from our tradition. The only, only one other American was ever, has ever been honored by Israel and by the Holocaust Remembrance Authority as righteous Gentiles. At that ceremony, they said, the Sharps acted according to the most noble principles of humanity by risking their lives to save Jews during the Holocaust. None of these brave things, Belvina Pajcic, the Sharps, or the hotel manager in Rwanda, none of these would have happened without the spiritual and emotional presence in these bodies that they possessed of empathy. Now, it is inspiring to recount these true stories of extraordinary empathy and bravery. But what does all this have to do with us? We can hope, of course, that if we ever found ourselves facing such human evils as genocide or other forms of terrible human violence, we would hope that we too would act with bravery and with empathy. But to me, the more important and practical spiritual focus for us today is to ask ourselves how we, in our routine lives, here in these relatively safe and humane United States, how we can create on an everyday basis greater empathy in our hearts, and in our lives. The good news is that there is a lot of evidence that empathy is a natural human quality that can be cultivated. First, it seems clear that we are all naturally born with it. In his wonderful book, Emotional Intelligence, Dr. Daniel Grohman asserts that all human beings come into the world with strong empathetic impulses. He writes, The roots of empathy can be traced to infancy. Virtually from the day they are born, infants are upset when they hear other infants crying. Infants feel empathetic distress even before they fully realize that they exist apart from other people. A response, he writes, that is the earliest precursor of empathy. And Dr. Harvey Hornstein, in his important little book, Cruelty and Kindness asserts that parents, teachers, and other adult role models who model empathetic behavior, compassionate acts in their daily living can and, in fact, do produce more altruistic, more empathetic children than those who do not. I quote him. The development of empathetic, altruistic dispositions in children is very much contingent on the quality of parental behavior that the child observes. The quality of parental behavior that the child observes. Parents who shower their children with rewarding hugs, squeals, kisses, after they they witness acts of generosity by their children, are more likely to rear empathetic, altruistic children than those who are more coolly dispassionate about such benevolent gestures. Again and again, in his interviews with the righteous Gentiles who saved Jews during World War II, Samuel Oliner discovered that these brave and empathetic individuals had in fact learned empathy from their parents. And then he quoted some of them. My parents taught me to respect all human beings. My parents taught me discipline, tolerance, And service to other people when they needed something, reported another. Now, I'm honored to tell you that back when I prepared this sermon, I wanted wanted to talk to Samuel O'Liner himself. So, not born with the shyness gene, I went online, I Googled him, I found his office phone number at Humboldt State University, and I dialed it. He didn't answer. But I left him a long, rambling message telling him I had written a sermon. I was writing a sermon about him. I'd send him the draft. And three days later, he called me back. He called me back. And I had a meaningful half-hour conversation with Dr. Samuel Oliner, who is now 84 years old. One of the things he said to me with his thick Polish accent from the village of Bobowa was he said, Reverend Alexander, I'm a very much an optimist about human behavior. We know that it's very easy to teach prejudice and hatred. Individual, I'm going to get out of my accent now. He said, we know it's easy to teach prejudice and hatred. Individuals and communities of people successfully teach hatred all the time. But I am passionately convinced, he said to me that day, that we can also teach altruism and empathy both at home and at home and in our schools, and in congregations like yours in Bethesda, Maryland. We can teach, Samuel Oliner said to me with the passion of an old man, we can teach our children to think and act empathetically and compassionately. I know this from the very center of my life. So empathy, blessedly, is something I believe we can instill in our young people. And again, we do this first and foremost by exhibiting it ourselves. When our parents, when our children see us loading up the car, you know, once a, month, once a year, River Road takes a whole week at the homeless shelter in Rockville. And when our kids help us to prepare the food in the kitchen and get in the car with us in the SUV and go to the Rockville shelter and serve the food with us to the homeless, they are learning empathy because we are modeling it. And there's one more important piece to this empathy equation, and that is our theological beliefs and our religious principles. And I'm going to speak here both for ethical culture and for Unitarian Universalism. In her wonderful book, The Great Transformation, The Beginnings of Our Religious Tradition, religious historian Karen Armstrong talks about the axle Age, the axle Age before the birth of Jesus, She talks about four distinct religious traditions that have continued to nourish humanity to the present day. She talks about Confucianism, Taoism and Taoism in China, Hinduism and Buddhism in India, monotheism in Israel, and philosophical rationalism in Greece. All moved, she said, in response to the violence and inhumanity of their age. All these traditions moved to articulate, and now I quote her, a new ethic of empathy and compassion toward all human beings everywhere her point is that these religious traditions moved from being tribal religions where the promise of goodness was made only for a few to a universal a universalist of faith i quote her the axial age was pivotal in the spiritual development of humanity the prophets the mystics philosophers and poets of the axial age taught a spirituality of empathy and compassion. They insisted, she went on, that people must abandon their egoism and greed, abandon their violence and unkindness, and embrace respect for the sacred rights of all persons. Each of these traditions, she went on, developed in its own formulation of the golden rule. The Axel traditions all taught that if people behaved with a broad-based kindness and generosity to their fellows, they could save the world. End of quote. As ethical union folks, and as Unitarian Universalists, we, of course, flow directly out of this tradition, religiously speaking. We flow out of the Axel Age. We flow out of the Golden Rule. And the ethic of Christianity, which developed a couple of centuries later. Our spiritual and ethical roots, at least in, uh, in Unitarian Universalism, which are Judeo-Christian, humanistic, and rational. And as a faith, we have always taught the importance, as has ethical union, of, the, of compassion and, and empathy. This, it's the foundation of, of everything you stand for. Everything you stand for. From start to finish then, our two traditions are built on the religious principle of empathy and connection. And so with these beliefs close to our hearts, we have everything we need to leave empathetic and compassionate lives and to teach those highest of human attributes to our children. Indeed, I think one can say the primary purpose of religion, at least in our case, the primary purpose of religion is to strengthen empathy, and to stimulate acts of compassion in our daily lives. Our religious traditions, our progressive religious traditions, call us always out of the natural confines of the self-interested self. We can't blame ourselves for being in the narrow confines of the self-interested self, because the self is self-interested. But our religions call us out from that to an ever-wider ethic, an ever-wider embrace, an ever-wider Range of protection and concern. I want to end this morning by telling an old Hasidic tale about empathy told by Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel, which reminds me of the power of empathy. The story goes that back in the days of the Roman Empire, a young Jewish man from Jerusalem wanted to journey to the great city of Rome, which was then the bustling capital of the world as everyone knew it. A terribly exciting, Adventurous destination for a young man. His mother, back in Jerusalem, as mothers are wont to do, protested to her son about about all the dangers and the difficulties of the trip. But how will you manage? She asked this adolescent. What will you eat? And even more important, where will you sleep? The adolescent son, of course, had no answers. He just wanted to go to Rome. Finally, his mother relented, saying, Well, all right, perhaps you will make do finding work and food and, but for sleep, for sleep my son, you must take this pillow which I have made for you, where you will lie your head down each night to have rest. You must take this pillow. Well, the son went off to Rome, and each evening after enjoying the sights and sounds and sensation of the busy city, he ventured outside the walls of Rome to a quiet countryside with his pillow and his other spare belongings to find a place to sleep, And it went on like this for many days. But one night, just as he was falling asleep, his pillow burst into flames. It caught fire. Why? Wiesel asks. The pillow caught fire because that night the temple in Jerusalem burned. And then Wiesel explains. It was the flames of empathy, the flames of connection, which kept the Jewish boy Awake that night. Wiesel went on to say, All Jews, no matter how far they may wander from Jerusalem, mystically belong to one another in an indissoluble human community of connection and compassion and concern. Thus it was empathy, pure and simple, that kept the boy awake that night the temple burned to the suffering that was happening back in Jerusalem. So may your pillows catch fire over your lifetime. May your hearts grow in their capacity to express and embody empathy for others no matter what their predicaments. May your pillows catch fire and may you evermore become human beings who know deep to your own hearts your indissoluble connection with an ever wider circle of human beings and teach that ethic to your children, not just with your words, but by the way you live. May your pillows catch fire, and may your children see the flames. And may that empathy evermore shape and ennoble your humanness. And I say and mean to you this day, amen.